Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today is Tuesday, August 27, 2019. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, the Department of Justice files a lawsuit against the Baltimore County Police Department for their hiring practices. Why are they not hiring enough black police officers? We'll explain. Chicago wants to clear tens of thousands of convictions for marijuana possession before the drug becomes legal. We'll talk with the DA, Kim Fox. A former NFL pro bowler tweets that his mind is crazy and it's all because of football. We'll talk to the man who diagnosed CTE in deceased football players. And Johnson & Johnson ordered to pay $572 million bucks for their role in the opioid crisis. Also, rapper Meek Mill's 12-year legal fight is officially over. We'll explain those details. you also see one of my one-on-one presidential candidate, Marianne Williamson. Plus, being at home while black can get you arrested will tell you how. And, oh, my goodness, today's crazy-ass white person is an Oklahoma TV anchor 
who actually compared her black colleague to a gorilla. It's time to bring the funk. I'm Roland Martin on the filter. Let's go. Talk about a shock. The uh, Trump Department of Justice is suing the Baltimore County Police Department, alleging discrimination against African-American applicants for entry-level police officer and police cadet positions. We're going to talk about why that's so important in the black communities in Baltimore with trial attorney Jay Wendell Gordon, who has sued the Baltimore County Police Department in the past. Glad to have you here, uh, Wendell. So, to look at this this case, first of all, it's shocking that uh, the Trump DOJ, this, some, this somehow actually got through uh, William Barr uh, because this Department of Justice has always been about, uh, uh, frankly, uh, coddling police departments as opposed to holding them accountable. Yeah, in fact, this is breaking news for Baltimore City. In fact, before I came on your show, I was out uh, talking to some colleagues on, on the... Um, in, in, in this downtown in the city, and I told them about the breaking news, and no one even heard of it yet. So they hear about it. They'll probably hear about it tonight on the five o'clock news. But it's incredibly shocking. It's incredibly uh, timely at this point because uh, Baltimore County has been getting a lot, getting away with a lot of discrimination on all accounts, not just its hiring practices, but it's also its policing practices. And everybody is normally focused on Baltimore City. They give kind of Baltimore. They kind of give Baltimore County a pass, but now. The focus is going really where it deserves to be and where it should have been a long time ago. And again, the same, so break it down for us, uh, what DOJ is alleging, saying they are discriminating against black applicants. Apparently, there was some testing uh, uh, that, that was taking place in the, ap the African-American applicants weren't faring very well on this, on this testing, but the, the white applicants were. And when that occurs, there's supposed to be some type of... Uh, some type of recognition and basically fixing this problem, and that hasn't occurred. So basically, DOJ said, yeah, you discriminated. It wasn't intentional, but it's still discrimination, and you have to fix it. And, 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 and while you're fixing it, you have to restore these African-American applicants uh, to where they would have been had the testing process been fair. And basically, what we're looking at is an unfair testing process that allowed African Americans not to be hired because they could not pass the test. Not because they didn't have the aptitude to pass the test, but not because the information contained on the test is 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 relevant or important to their abilities to perform their duties, but because it's basically just discrimination. What people don't understand is that when you talk about discrimination in police departments and fire departments, the testing has been an issue we have seen since the 70s. We've seen this take place in New York and Chicago, all across this country, when it comes to the test. I, I agree with you. And uh, this is basically the ghost of, 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 of the past, uh, where we used to fight very hard and valiantly to get some of these issues resolved. Now, here they are rearing their ugly head again. 
2019, and and uh, and not just not to the surprise of anyone, but certainly to our dismay. I mean, we, we're just tired of it, and I'm glad that DOJ is finally doing something about it. Uh, I wonder how much the actual Trump administration had to do had to do with this. I wonder if they even know <laughs> what was going on because it seems so so um, opposite or contrary to the views that he seems to hold on a national level. But I, believe me, I was shocked. In fact. When I heard on your show that it occurred, because that's where the news broke. Actually, it actually broke on your show. No one's talking about it. As I said, when I was talking about it, uh, no one even heard about it. So when I heard about it, I was like, wow. I said, okay, we'll see what happens with this. All right. Well, Jay Wendell Gordon, we certainly will follow this to see what happens next. Uh, thank you very much for joining us at Roller Martin Unfiltered. Thank you. All right, then, folks, uh, let's go to our next story, and that is possession of an ounce of less of marijuana will be legal in Illinois beginning in January. The law, which was signed in June, also recognizes that for decades, people caught with small amounts of pot received stiff fines, possible jail time, and criminal convictions that dog them for life. So what will that mean for people who are serving time for a nonviolent offense? In just a moment, we'll be chatting with Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox. We want to go to our panel right now, though. Uh, and so let's uh, welcome to our panel. Uh, first off, we have Kelly Bethea. Of course, she is communication strategist. Uh, we have uh, Jason Nichols. He, of course, a lecturer, African-American studies, University of Maryland, and also uh, Malik Abdul with vice president of Black Conservative Federation. And we're going to bring in uh, ter uh, Attorney Fox right now. Uh, Kim, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Uh, doing great. This is obviously critically important when we talk about uh, what is happening um, with uh, these convictions. All across the country, we are seeing, we're seeing um, individuals uh, who are still in jail due to marijuana possession, uh, and, but, but these states uh, have not made it legal. Uh, I mean, I don't understand why it's not being made part of state law to vacate all of the convictions if you're going to make marijuana legal. That's right. And in Illinois, Roland, we did just that. We recognized that as we were moving towards legalization, we were the 10th state to do so. All, all the other states had done it by referendum. We were doing it by legislation. And so we made sure that we were at the table to say that any legalization bill would have to have conviction relief for people who were already uh, convicted for marijuana possession. And so I'm very proud that we sat at the table uh, as part of those discussions. And when the law takes effect January 1st, uh, we have a mechanism in place for those who had previous convictions to vacate those convictions and ensure that no one is sitting in our jails for a previous marijuana. How many folks are we talking about will be impacted by this? You know, the, we have estimates up to 770,000 people statewide. Um, here in Cook County, uh, we have about 72% of those folks uh, of that 772. Wow, that is a, a huge, huge number. Uh, and if somebody is in prison right now due to marijuana conviction, then what happens to them? Certainly, we would review their record. You know, under the Illinois law, most of the, the automatic expungement for people who have 30 grams or less of marijuana, that would be considered a, a misdemeanor. And so there are very few people who are in, in jail or prison for misdemeanor marijuana. For anyone who has 30 grams or more, up to 500,000 or 500 grams, that's a felony. What we can do is then review those who are currently incarcerated uh, to petition to have those folks released. 
Um, and um, what, are, what are other DAs around the country, what are they also saying uh, when it comes to marijuana convictions, even in places where they have not made marijuana legal? Uh, are you seeing that this action uh, likely to be taken in a lot of those places as well? Absolutely. You know, Marilyn Mosby out of Baltimore um, has been trying to do a vacating of convictions as well, even though it has not been legalized in, in Maryland just yet. Um, Eric Gonzalez in Brooklyn has also been looking at this. George Gascon, who is the DA in San Francisco, where it is now legal in California, has been working on this. I think what you'll find with the growing number of prosecutors is they're not prosecuting low-level marijuana cases anymore because it is not fair, it's not equitable, it disproportionately impacts uh, black and brown communities. The question is, just because we've stopped prosecuting, what are we doing about righting the wrongs of the past, the previous convictions? And you're seeing a lot more efforts now of prosecutors doing that. Um, and um, when you talk about, obviously, with these convictions, do, do you, are you also seeing a change among state legislators uh, to be more understanding uh, uh, of sort of this uh, tough on crime sort of stance and realizing that, frankly, that's contributed to mass incarceration in this country? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would say that the state legislator here, legislature here in Illinois was very mindful of that, uh, not only on the conviction relief part, but on the equity of who gets to participate in marijuana sales, uh, recognizing that people who had these convictions would be left out of the ability to make money in this new market and put in place uh, processes that will allow for those people to participate. Additionally, our legislation said that we were going to reinvest dollars into those communities that have been impacted by the war on drugs. Um, our governor is signing off on you know, the vacating of these convictions and expungements through the Prisoner Review Board. So we are very fortunate in Illinois to have a legislature that recognizes legalization must come in the form of equity and justice for communities that have been impacted by the war on drugs. Absolutely. Uh, Kim Fox, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you, Roland. I appreciate being on. All right, let's go to our panel here. Kelly, I want to start with you. I mean, this is it's important because, again, now you have these states that are profiting off of marijuana, uh, and they should be vacating uh, these convictions. No, they absolutely should. Um, it shouldn't have been a crime in the first place because marijuana, once upon a time, was just kind of almost like the equivalent of persona non grata. No one really thought about it. Um, but now we're at a place where, thankfully, it's not, at least in D.C., it's, it's becoming more uh, commercialized and people are actually seeing the, medic the medical benefits of marijuana. And I think that hopefully people all over the country will see that. Um, but on a side note, I think that once white people actually uh, become affected by something, that's when it starts to become, you know, radically changed. Um, we saw, we're seeing this with the opioid crisis. Uh, first, with crack, people didn't really think about it um, and just thought it was like a black people problem. But now that opioids are in the white community, now all of a sudden it's a health crisis, uh, although it was supposed to be that in the first place. I kind of liken that to the marijuana. Um, it was never a bad thing. They just criminalized it because I feel like black people were using it. So. I, I just couldn't agree more with the decision that Chicago's making. I think that a lot of lives will be changed for the better because of it. Jason. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, <clears throat> we've known for a long time that uh, marijuana is, uh, you know, not a gateway drug. It's something that people use recreationally. I, I think there's something as, as many as 80% of Americans mm -hmm. believe that marijuana should at the very least be decriminalized, if not completely legal. So it really doesn't make sense that we, we made this kind of crime, and I think we've been profiteering off of it, whether it's through private prisons or the mass, mass incarceration. There have been many people who have been profiteering, and now definitely these uh, people's uh, uh, sentences should be vacated. And not only that, I would also add that a lot of marijuana dispensaries in places that, are le that it is legal uh, very few of those have been uh, licensed to black people. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's another thing that needs to happen is that if people are going to profiteer off of marijuana, then I think our community deserves our peace too. Bella? Well, this is one of those moments where I can say, you know, good job, D.C. Um, currently in D.C., you can be caught, what I think, about two ounces of marijuana. You can grow up to, I think, six plants. Mm -hmm. um, just recently, it was the mayor, she actually... Um, uh, and, and it's in the process now where she's getting ready to sign a bill to um, legalize rec recreational marijuana. And the council earlier, I don't know if it was this month or the month prior, um, the D.C. council unanimously <coughs> voted to um, expunge the records of people who had been previously convicted of marijuana convictions. And what was happening in the past under the old law is, is that, that those records be, could be sealed after eight years. And now what the D.C. Council has done is actually to speed that process up so they can have those, I, I believe, the immediate um, removal of that from their record and they can also be um, sealed. So I think it's a great thing. I was at a, a Women for Trump event last year and I met some, um, and not just men, but women, um, actually a number of women, older women, women much older than me, who were actually put there at the Women for Trump event to push for marijuana, um, what, what, exactly what we're talking about now. It was shocking to me, but it was something I was like, oh, wow. Now, they were from the West Coast, but the fact that I think this is a much more bipartisan issue than people mm -hmm. would will really be willing to realize, and I think... Everybody and I, smokes. Yeah, and, and, I, and I actually, <laughs> and I think it's a good thing, and I don't know people, I don't know if people remember, but Attorney General Barr, he was asked about mm -hmm. that during his hearing, mm -hmm. and he actually um, said that he was actually open yeah. to the idea of um, the federal coverage of marijuana, well, so... I think we should decriminalize all drugs. Well, then again, you gotta be high to be a woman for Trump. So, so Roland, they, they did a good thing. Still <laughs> gotta be, for, you still got to be high as hell to be a woman for Trump. Maybe so, but it's a good thing. Maybe that, so. You got to be high. But you need their support in the order for this team to go. Say what? Depends on the strand. No, nah, you need some. You need like strain. a. You need like a Kelly. serious. Strain. Is it strain? You, you, you need. Yes, I meant strain. strain. <laughs> well, you know, like and, and we and we you know we, we know who will know absolutely. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but you got but you got to be real high to vote for Trump. <laughs> I'm just saying. All right, y'all. Uh, next week is the beginning of the school year. And before you send your sons uh, off to participate in organized sports, daughters too, especially when we talk about soccer, I want you to, to read this series of tweets by Laron McClain, a former Pro Bowl fullback in the NFL who is clearly in distress. He says he says his brain is messed up. He says he can't help it and, uh, and can't get any help. Unfortunately, his story is not an isolated case. As football gets quicker and more physical, the dangers of serious Hit injury increases. Folks, pull up the tweets and we can, uh, do we have them? 
Okay, uh, so we have some issues with the graphics there, but I mean, you talk about uh, unbelievable when you saw these tweets. I mean, this, I mean, he was literally yelling, yelling uh, on social media, saying he needed help. Uh, spent several years in the NFL playing fullback, a position, of course, uh, where uh, they led with their head uh, all of the time, and you also have, of course, um, uh, players who uh, are fighting, uh, who are fighting, um, uh, uh, fighting the NFL. Uh, there was a class action lawsuit that also uh, took place, uh, and so this is what uh, this is what uh, he tweeted 12 hours ago. Another sleepless night. Go to my iPad, please. Another sleepless night. Another day. Another opportunity, though. Stay positive, kings and queens. It's hard. No lie. And I'm scared. Look at me. Talked all that on the field. I was a beast, and now I'm a mess. Man in tears now, but swear I'm going to fight these peeps, keeping this uh, alpha mental. That's what um, uh, he posted. Uh, getting my story out, peeps, just in case something happens to me. I want everyone to know what's going on a daily for 24 hours. The darkest shit ever. It's no joke, peeps. My life is no joke. Uh, man, be in my shoes for a few hours. SMH, some people are sad. SMH, I'm not looking for sympathy. Uh, but uh, some of the other tweets... Um, uh, he tweeted this here. Nights like this are the worst. I cannot sleep. My anxiety is up. Real talk. I'm a fucking mess. Like, what's wrong with me, man? Come on, bro. SMH, please just pray for me. God wins. God wins. That was at 326 in the morning uh, on uh, August 26. And, of course, he also was talking about uh, what happened with... Um, uh, what happened with um, um, uh, Andrew, Luck. Uh, Andrew Luck retiring uh -huh. uh, and, and talking about uh, what he was dealing with. Uh, this is what he uh, tweeted uh, at 8.42 a.m. on August 24th. Need to tell my story of how my head is crazy and how football did it. Please, someone help me get out of uh, the NFL. Uh, get this out. The NFL puts paperwork in our faces, and that's it. Yes, it's programs. Fuck all that I need help. Now I need a plan. Uh, he said they don't fucking get it, man. And so, again, a number of tweets uh, that he sent out uh, just uh, crying for help. Uh, joining us right now is the noted forensic pathologist and neuropathologist, Dr. Bennett Amalu. Of course, he was the man who diagnosed CTE uh, and the, um, of course, with Mike Webster, the uh, Hall of Famer with the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, who died as well. And Dr. Amalu, when you see these tweets uh, from LaRon McClain, um, what, is, what do you say? What do I say? It's what I have always said. When I said it, uh, people called me all types of names. Knowing what we know today, and this is for every parent out there, knowing what we know today, there is no reason whatsoever why a child should play football in America today. Playing football causes brain damage, permanent brain damage. There is no cure for it. Once the damage is done, it is done. And from studies, just after one season of playing football, your child's brain is irreparably damaged. Just after one season. If you play high school football for one season, your child's brain receives about 1,400 blows, violent blows. For college football is about 1,600 violent blows in just one season. So knowing what we know today, 
when you play a game like football, not just football, ice hockey, mixed martial arts, wrestling, boxing, rugby, when you play these games, you have a 100%, and I repeat, 100% risk exposure to brain damage. So cases like this, I received so many emails from all around the world on daily basis of people like the person we're talking about. So the damage is already done. There is nothing we could do about it. But for children who have not suffered the damage, if your child is playing football today, you need to pull him out. No, there's no reason for any child to play football until that child becomes an adult and makes up his or her own mind if he wants to play a game that would damage his brain. And as African-Americans, I'm, I'm black too. I came from Africa. I'm an American now. The single group that suffers the largest amount of exposure and damage are African-American men. So this has become a civil rights issue of our time. Many young black boys are damaging their brains. When you play this game, you suffer from major depression. You have almost a 400 to 600% increased risk of committing suicide. You lose your intelligence. You're less likely to attain high levels of uh, education. You're less likely to get a job that requires complex thinking. You're less likely to become successful in life. You're more likely to become an alcoholic. You're more likely to abuse drugs. You're more likely to engage in impulsive behavior. You're more likely to engage in criminal behavior. This is very well established. In 1957, the American Academy of Pediatrics said that no child under the age of 12 should be playing football in America. This is in 1957, 11 years before I was born. So what is going on? I, I have a, a public high school about five miles away from my house. Every Friday night, there are so many cars in the parking lot. So one day I was driving home, I pulled over to see what was going on. I walked in, they were playing football. Over 95% of the students, of the boys on the field were blacks. Meanwhile, a private high school that is about 10 miles away from me, they don't have any football program. So doc, let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. Um, so when you say, so what should, from your point of view, if someone wants to play football, what should be the age they should start? There is no age to start playing football. It's, it's inherently dangerous, just like there is no age where you should slam your head on the wall. But because we live in a free society, once you become an adult, 18, you're free to do whatever you want to do. You mm -hmm. have every right to exercise your freedom and liberty. If you want to engage in um, deep-sea diving, that is your prerogative. I will support you. If you want to engage in um, skydiving, wonderful for you. But not children. Children have not reached the age of consent to make up their minds, to even understand the intricacies of what they are doing. 
And so no child should play these games. Children should engage in brain-friendly sports, non-contact, swimming, volleyball, basketball, baseball, so many, so many games. However, these non-contact sports should still be played safely because there is still a very minor risk of accidental injury. The NFL, the NFL fought you aggressively uh, and now they, uh, now they are, you know, they say they're making great strides. Do you believe that the NFL has done enough? Uh, and what do you think about uh, what's happening on the college and high school level as well? You know, well, I've traveled all around the world, and what I tell parents is, let us not make this about the NFL. The NFL is a corporation that is there to make money, and they have every right to make money. The NFL is a legitimate corporation, just like every other legitimate corporation, Apple, Google, Microsoft. They sell a product, which is football, entertainment, sports entertainment. They want to make money. The NFL is not there to take care of your child. That is not what they're in business for. So let's not make this about the NFL. Let us make this about the dignity and integrity of each and every life. My middle African name is Ifa Kando. It means life is the greatest gift of all. The greatest gift a parent could have is the gift of the life of your child. Parents should make up your minds. Which is more important to you, the life of your child, or uh, very transient, uh, 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 um, ectatic, <laughs> the times, days, periods, on a weekend, uh, several days a week. I wouldn't let my son play, and I wouldn't ask someone else's son to play. And this is not just my personal opinion. This is the position of science. Mm -hmm. like people, this is not Bennett or Marlowe's opinion or perspective. No, this is the truth. This is the fact of science. But what if you've noticed, as, as, as amplified by our politics today, as a society, we are beginning to, 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 to deny and reject the truth for what it stands for. There is only one truth, but the truth frequently is inconvenient and many times painful. So as a society, what we're beginning to do is to develop alternative truths that will serve our convenience. Mm -hmm. That is a road to darkness. Doctor. Embrace the truth, respect, recognize the truth for what it is. And the truth in this is there is no reason whatsoever a child, knowing what we know today, I'm not talking about in 1970s, the players who have played and suffered brain damage is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Medicine cannot reverse the damage, that's a fact. But what about the future? What about the future? What about children whose brains have not been damaged? Mm -hmm. And as a physician, as a physician, I'm mandated, I'm required to tell the truth. To tell the truth to parents, to children. And as a Christian, <laughs> as a Christian, I'm even more required. Mm -hmm. Okay? Dr. The B truth sets you free. The truth is liberating. So what we need, we need a radical change in our 
propositional value in our value judgment system. Yep. Many parents will tell me, oh, my son is going to get a scholarship. My son will get, get into the NFL. Less than 0.03% of football players make it to the NFL. And parents that believe that the NFL will make my son wealthy, that is a big lie. Football players are the lowest paid athletes. I don't know if people know that. The average salary, uh, uh, an analysis I did a couple, years, a couple of years ago, is about $1 million. The span, professional span of a football player's uh, career is about three to five years. So you damage your brain for only three to five million dollars. And then when you're taxed, the money that gets into your pocket is about three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars. And then when you retire after five years, your brain is damaged, you cannot sustain yourself economically. Is it really worth it? Like I said to high school students, who is more likely to live in a multi million dollar home at the age of sixty? A doctor or a lawyer or a football player? Of course, the answer is very obvious. If you're a lawyer or a doctor, you're more likely to live in a $1 million home at the age of 60 than a retired football player. That's a great point, Dr. Malo. Uh, and it is certainly, uh, again, when we look at uh, these stories, uh, uh, it causes uh, great concern. Uh, Dr. Ben Malo, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Good our companion here, Jason. This is, uh, you know... Look, um, I don't have kids. I guarantee you, if I did, they're not playing football. Yeah, I agree. Um, <clears throat> I have a son, and I, you know, I played football in, in high school, uh, and I have a son who's five. And honestly, he's gonna play baseball. You know, he's gonna play some of the sports that uh, Dr. Amalu uh, alluded to. Uh, it's just not worth it. Um, I think there was a sports science. I really enjoy those sports science things that they yep. do on, on ESPN. And they did one on DeMarcus Ware. Mm -hmm. And they said, basically, if he hits you from with, like, a five-yard running start, it's literally like a truck hitting you. And it will concuss you, you know. Uh, and a you know, truck hitting you, you could die depending on your preparation for it. So that, to me, says, and, uh, you know, I love that Dr. Amalu pointed out the economic point, mm -hmm. which is they're the lowest-paid athletes. You're not going to get a Bryce Harper or some of these, you know, the other salaries that you would get in baseball or in other sports. Um, to me, again, this is also an economic and a cultural thing where African-American youth are, are attracted uh, and pushed towards football rather than other sports. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that now we are starting to see that this is, you know, the risk is not worth the reward at all. Uh, Melik, when you see these tweets, when you see, I mean, homeboy is just oh. uh, McLean crying out for help. Yeah, that, that's, that's heartbreaking. And, you know, as Jason said, you know, this is really cultural. And it's really, a, and I don't know if any other um, country has football. There's some, but it's, it's not growing. to the yeah. extent that we have but, it. But it's something that, you know, it's a part of, a, you know, an American tradition. And so American. what you are seeing, um, you're seeing a lot of uh, parents choosing not to allow their um, kids to play. And so definitely support anything like that. Um, I like what, you know, the attention that has actually been drawn to the concussion issue. That, you know, and a lot of football fans like me, you know, back in the day would get upset, you know, if one of our players was hit. And it's like, well, get up! 
You know, it's like, yeah. you, you, you were just hit, you know, get up. But now that we're really starting to look at the effects of that, I think it's a great thing. And I hope that even in our, you know, communities like ours, you know, that's why it's important. I love what's happening at Howard um, with the, you know, the, um, yeah. Stephen, Cur Stephen Curry, um, what he's doing with golfing, because the more that we introduce, our, we excel in everything once we're in it. So whether it's swimming, whether it's baseball, basketball, anything. And so the more those type of sports are introduced in our community. Yeah, accessible, yeah. Yep, the Kelly. better it will be. Uh, just to piggyback off of what uh, Malik was saying, I, I'm a little conflicted about this because while I agree with the doctor, at the same time, this has to deal with access. A lot of schools don't have baseball programs. A lot of schools don't have right. golfing programs mm -hmm. or s swimming programs, let alone a swimming pool. Mm -hmm. So all you have at these uh, lower, uh, what's the word? Elementary uh, level of education, these institutions, elementary school, middle school, high school, is a football field. It's not a question they don't have it. Bottom line is football's re revenue generating sport. Uh, no, and I so, would... And so it is, and the rally is, out of all those sports you mentioned, football actually has more players. So the problem is, you have 30 or 40 or 50 people on 60, 70 on a football team where, hell, that, that might end up being five sports combined. The reality in America is that football is a revenue-generating sport. And I agree it's with It's money. I, I mean, it's just flat out... You're absolutely it's, it's right money. that it's money, but I also understand the fact that there are schools out there that don't have other programs. No, 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 no. They don't have other programs because football is a revenue-generating sport. Right, so, so they so, invest so, in the football and not into the other programs no, that no, they no, no, have. No, 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 no. It's not that they invest in, in the football program. The football, this, this nation, this day, football now is a religion. Right. Football, okay. football now owns Sunday. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Right, next to, right next <laughs> to church. So what has happened is it is so deeply embedded. The NFL is a $10 billion a year corporation. They make more money than all of the other professional sports, including the NBA. You look at it on the college level, you take yeah. the Big East. The Big East became the Big East because of basketball. Mm -hmm. Georgetown, uh, Syracuse, Villanova, Connecticut. When football money came in, it completely decimated the conference. Why? Because you cannot compete with, uh, with football money. And so the problem in America with football is money. And the people, and it is such, it is so massive. Pro, college, high school, You've got high school stadiums in this country, mm -hmm. several in Texas, with 60 and 70 million dollar high school stadiums. So the problem in this country are those who are profiting from football who are not concerned at all about the health piece. But I'm not necessarily talking about just high school. There are peewee football teams out there. Yes, money. I understand your point about access. But what I'm saying is, what they're doing is, their deal is, this is about money. And so they're making money in Pee Wee. They're making money in elementary school and middle school. They're I mean, they're making gobs of money, and you wouldn't think so, but that's what's driving this deal. And you have people out there who are saying, as long as that money train is going, all right, your head might hurt. Okay, we could teach you how to tackle a different way. But that's what's going on here. And in, in, in that movie, Concussion, what the doctor said is, and the problem is they're seeing the, the shift now. In Concussion, there was that scene where he said, if just 10% of parents 
pull their kids from youth football, the whole system collapses. Mm. Because it's about money. And that's what the NFL is. That's what college football is. Yeah. That's where high school football is. And that's why they fought Amalu like crazy. Yeah. So they're not trying to put the money to create those other sports, to create the alternatives, because folks are saying, we're getting paid with football. And that's, and that's what's driving. It's the profit of football. And that's what's scary. Uh, real quick, real yeah, quick. Yeah, I, I just wanted to add to that. Uh, if you've been... If you visited places like the University of Alabama recently, roll tide. All new buildings. Roll tide. I mean, oh, it's it it's, funds the school. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Oh, the arm, the arms race, How? the arms race in college football is ridiculous. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, the amount of money being put into. And first of all, let's just be clear: only a handful of athletic departments actually make money. Oh, absolutely. That, that's the other thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it is. It is so. It is so. And I'm telling you, what is happening is. But see, let, we, we also got to go beyond this. What What is the other hugely sport that's popular among kids? Soccer. They're now seeing massive brain injuries mm. because balls. You well, that was my uh, hit with your head. So it's what, it's well, that's what I wanted to get at because I was a soccer player up until 13, 14 years old, and I don't know whether I got concussed much because of my position. I didn't have to deal with you know that much contact, but at the same time, any sport that. Re- requires you to move at that speed or be that agile or have any type of ball coming to your face. Baseball has concussions. There are people who suffer from CTE from baseball and CTE from yeah. soccer. But, Not but at the, the same rate. Yeah, the, Not the, at the same yeah. rate. It's I, repetitive. I, right. I get that. It's like so, so in boxing, for example, they'll tell anybody will tell you it's better to get knocked out with one punch than to be, you know, Repeatedly knocked hit. out on mm-hmm. your feet. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is the, it's the repetition, play after play after play. These people are running into each other. And some places and have actually banned uh, using your head in soccer. Right. Yeah. So, I again, I understand the predicament. I think we need to come to a conclusion as to exactly are children going to be allowed to play sports at all? Because there are areas where sometimes that sport is the child's ticket out of whatever predicament they're in. But that but that but that's the that's problem. problem. That is but see problem. no but no that's no but no, but see that's and that's what they prey on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's what they prey on uh, when when if and if sports is the ticket out for maybe one kid. Right. Maybe one? I mean if, if you take if you take a neighborhood, you take a traditional neighborhood, maybe one kid mm-hmm. in the entire neighborhood. And that person becomes Over legend. the course of 22 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the legend. Become a pro. Yeah. Maybe. Mm-hmm. That's how small it is. And so I, 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 that argument can't work. And the problem is it is, it is, it is what's driving, I think, uh, so much of this. But what you have, again, though, what you have, folks, is they don't want the, 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 uh, the assembly line to end. Right. That's what they don't want because it's money and it's billions and billions and billions of dollars that are at stake. And that's what's going on here. And so, uh, all right, folks, got to go to a break. We come back. We're going to talk about Marianne Williamson. We'll talk about Meek Mill uh, now being uh, free. That's right. No more probation, all this sort of stuff. We'll have all those details next. Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? 
youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, you heard we talk a lot about MarijuanaStock.org. Why? Because I want to keep you informed of investment opportunities that make sense. We've all watched the growth of the cannabis industry. A recent report by New Frontier Data estimates the global cannabis market at over $340 billion. We know that marijuana legalization is sweeping the country state by state. We also know that marijuana has a good cousin, the hemp plant, with a much higher concentration of CBD. That means hemp gives you all the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. Until recently, hemp farming was practically legal in the U.S. and heavily regulated by the DEA. However, the 2018 Farm Bill changed all of that, making it legal to grow hemp CBD in the U.S., creating one of the largest commodities worldwide. Folks, they need land to grow all of the plants, and that's where our good friends at 420 Real Estate come in. Their business model is simple. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to licensed high-paying tenants. That's right, they are hemp CBD landlords. And you can get in on the action. My friends at 420 Real Estate decided to do something special for the Roland Martin Unfiltered family. Originally, the minimum investment level was 500 bucks. Right now, you can invest in this crowdfunding campaign for as little as $200. That's right, 200 bucks up to $10,000. So you have a growing industry where you can get in for as little as $200. To invest, go to MarijuanaStock.org. That's MarijuanaStock.org. Get in the game and you can get in the game now. All right, folks, uh, in Oklahoma, a major settlement with uh, Johnson & Johnson uh, where over the opioid crisis. Now, that's one of the states they have been uh, suing manufacturers as a result of uh, these uh, crises. Well, state judge there uh, for the first time this week uh, says that an opioid maker was partly responsible for sparking the opioid crisis that swept through Oklahoma and the U.S. overall, killing an estimated 130 people nationwide every day. Johnson & Johnson, the maker of the opioid painkillers Duragesic and Nucenta, must pay $572 million bucks in damages to the state of Oklahoma, which, is, which has reportedly lost more than 6,000 people to the opioid crisis since 2000. In his decision, the judge said that they caused an opioid crisis that is evidenced by increased rates of addiction, overdose deaths, and neonatal abstinence syndrome in Oklahoma. Also, of course, uh, another family that is a leader behind opioids, they are being sued, and they have thrown out a potential $10 to $12 billion settlement with folks who are suing them, and so we'll see what happens in that case. Rapper Meek Bill walked out of the Philadelphia courtroom today, a free man after fighting for 12 years. He pled, gu pled guilty to a misdemeanor firearms possession gun charge. All other charges were dropped. He will face no further punishment. The charges stem from a 2007 case that's kept him under court supervision for more than a decade. Uh, of course, um, uh, Kelly, there were people, of course, they had were rallying outside. This has been going on for quite some time. Uh, and it shows the extent by which folks are so wrapped up in the criminal justice system. And what's really frustrating about the entire thing is the fact that because, because this is such a minor charge, all things considering, the fact that he has been under the thumb of the court system for well over a decade because of this one thing. Right. That that's just ridiculous to me. I know I've seen with, you know, personally, so many other cases with, you know, just absurd uh, uh, facts and evidence in play where the person of 
uh, who's white does not get nearly as much time as Meek Mill did for what ended up being a misdemeanor charge. Jason, this is why I've often said the moment you get into that system, you are not in control of your life. Any one thing that you do can keep you involved with it, and that was the case with Meek Mill. Absolutely. You know, the... We, we definitely need to take a, a larger look at not only, you know, I know everyone's looking at bail, but also looking at, you know, the probation and parole system and how, you know, it basically keeps its, you know, as, as uh, my colleague said here, you know, its thumb over, you know, people and keeping them in the system, mm -hmm. waiting for them to make some minor error so that they can reincarcerate them or extend their pro uh, probation. Um, I'm glad to see Meek out. Uh, and we know he's been rapping like a monster lately, so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm excited for the new music. Malik. Yeah, this is, and if, if I remember correctly, was it that he was caught with a, the gun? He was caught with the gun, mm -hmm. but it wasn't used in mm -hmm. the commission of any crime. Literally any, just possession. Yeah, possession of a gun. You know, well, they, they alleged that he pointed it. That was the thing. That, but again, but the point I'm making is that, again, this is one of those things where the moment you get into that system, mm -hmm. right. you don't control your life. Right. Somebody else is in control. And that once you get in and once they say you're in probation, you do one thing, all of a sudden that thing just, just, keeps, it going. just keeps going. Keeps going. Uh, and so, again, that's why I, I say we have to do two things. Fight the system, mm -hmm. but also not get in not the system. Not get in the system. Right. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I'm actually, um, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. But I'm really happy that there's a lot of attention focused on things like this. Like you said, you know, we really should focus on the parole system, too. But I'm glad that we're the nation is having a real conversation about criminal justice. Mm -hmm. And I hope that everyone can work together on both sides of the aisle, people working with the president on it, working with Jay-Z, any of these people that are out here, you know, fighting the good fight. I think that we should all come together because, you know, we're... For, even for the people who say, well, just lock them up, lock them up, lock them up. Well, that's fine. That's not financially feasible, mm -hmm. you know, to continue no, to do that. Which, 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 which is why some of the states have gone broke, even uh, Mississippi, uh, uh, Texas, Kansas. People yeah. say, uh, you know, we Louisiana. can't afford this. Yeah. Makes no sense yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. So that's one of the things that we have been saying. All right, uh, going to a break. We come back. Uh, we're going to talk Marianne Williamson, running for president, uh, as well as... Oh, Lord, this TV anchor in Oklahoma. What, 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 what the hell? What, uh, y'all, wait till I explain to y'all. Did she really call her black co-anchor saying look like a monkey? Oh, Jesus. Yes, she did. <laughs> I'll be back, Roller Mark Unfiltered. You want to support Roller Mark Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to rollermartinunfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. rollermartinunfiltered.com. All right, folks, November 7th through 11th, I want you to join me in Cabo. That's right, the second annual Life Lux Jazz Experience uh, will be taking place there. An unbelievable lineup there of food and music and drink and all that good stuff, uh, golf, spa, wellness, all kind of things happening uh, in Cabo during that time, including the Spirit of Jazz Gospel Brunch and the Jazz Sunset Cruise. Among the guests confirmed, actor Mark Curry, uh, saxophonist Gerald Albright, Alex Bunyang, Raul Madonna, 
Dawn, Incognito, Pieces of a Dream, Kirk Whalum, Average White Band, Donna McClurkin, Shalea, Roy Ayers, Tom Brown, Ronnie Laws, Ernest Quarles. Now, of course, all of y'all going to be on the East Coast and the Midwest was going to be cold as hell. Come on down to Cabo. Let's have a great time for four days uh, in November. I'm going to be broadcasting Roland Martin Unfiltered from Cabo that Thursday and Friday. And so it's going to be an absolute great time, an unbelievable experience, uh, upscale accommodations, of course, great music and great food and great people. Uh, and so we would love to have you join us. Packages range anywhere from $1,300 to $2,000. And again, there's going to be concerts all throughout uh, those four days. And so we're going to have an absolute great time. And so I want you to go to the website right now and check it out. Love to have you there. The website is lifeluxjazz.com, lifeluxjazz.com. If you're looking for an absolutely great time with grown people, <laughs> let me say that again, grown people, y'all can leave the kids at home, and so y'all can sit in, roll without kids, have a great romantic time. Go to lifeluxjazz.com. We'd love to love to see you in Cabo uh, during that time. And so lifeluxjazz.com, November 7th through the 11th. So sign up today. All right, folks. Uh, a lot of folks running for president, and uh, they all have to uh, get uh, ease in by tomorrow. Tomorrow's a deadline, Wednesday, to qualify for the next debate taking place at Texas Southern University in Houston, uh, September 12th and 13th. Now, first of all, right now, 10 candidates have qualified, and so the others are trying to qualify. Now, right now, that means it will be only one debate. But if more than 10 people qualify by tomorrow, then there'll be two debates. And one of the folks who wants to qualify has yet to do so because it must be at 2% of the polls, is Marianne Williamson. Well, just the other day, I had an opportunity to catch up with her to hear from her as to why she wants to be president of the United States. I don't think there was a moment. I can't imagine anybody running for president impulsively. There was a moment when the idea first struck me as a possibility, but then that was followed by a year and a half of processing. I had to talk to a lot of people that I respect and admire, and I had to work through a lot of things within myself. I knew it wouldn't be easy, and I knew that I would get a lot of the derisiveness and dismissiveness that I have gotten from certain quarters. I'm not at a point in my life where, like my daughter said, Mommy, why do you need to do this? But I think that, for me, as for so many millions of other people, Donald Trump's election changed everything. And a lot of the questioning and considerations that might have had pertinence before he became president sort of drop away. I think the only question any conscious person is asking right now is, how can whatever skills and abilities I have best be used at this moment of time? You mentioned skills. Obviously, to be commander-in-chief, to be president of the United States, uh, requires diplomacy, requires having to work uh, with Democrats and Republicans, requires uh, all sorts of things. And so uh, why do you believe you have the skill set uh, to handle uh, the most important position in the world? Well, first of all, even the skill sets that you just mentioned, it's not like I'm without uh, diplomatic experience. I've worked with many, many people in my life, including people around the world. But more than that, I think that what we need right now is political vision more than we need a political mechanic. You know, what you talked about is political experience. Well, very 
experienced politicians took us into Iraq. Very experienced politicians took us into Vietnam. Very experienced politicians went along with the war in Iraq. You can have the best uh, car mechanic in the world, but the best car mechanic doesn't necessarily know what path you should take to Cincinnati. And that's what we're lacking now. We have plenty of political expertise, but what we lack is political vision. Uh, FDR said the primary job of the, of the presidency is moral leadership. He said the administrative aspect is secondary. And I also believe that not only do we need the skill set which, with which to govern the country, and I do believe that I have that, but we need the skill set that's going to be necessary to defeat Donald Trump. You know, the Democrats, there are differences, certainly. There are differences in our policy positions. But in general, there's a chorus here. There's a common chorus. But a lot of Democrats now are talking about our plans. But notice, nobody's having the conversation about what is our plan for defeating Donald Trump. And I believe that the conversation that the conventional politicians are having right now, they're sharpening their knives. But Donald Trump will be bringing, be bringing a big gun to this battle, not just a knife. And I believe that the particular skill sets that I have are saying, you know, I heard someone the other day say, well, you know, what is she? She knows about motivating people, inspiring people. And, you know, my thought was, yeah, you might want to think about that. Because we have to do something other than just, this man is not just a politician. He is a phenomenon. And a, I, I personally don't believe an insider politics game will defeat him. We need to create a phenomenon of equal force. And that's not an individual, but it is an awakening and an excitement and an inspiration among the American people that I think my conversation has already has already ignited in a way that other candidacies have not. So you believe that uh, a candidate that can inspire people, that is who uh, can beat Donald Trump. You, is that the most important thing that you think Democrats need to beat Donald Trump in 2020? I, I, well, you know, obviously it's a very multidimensional issue, and I'm not saying there's any one thing. But I do believe that, look, let's just look at the math. Donald Trump didn't win, and if he were to win, he wouldn't win again, just because of the people who are so excited about Donald Trump. And we need to remember, if you look at how many people voted for him, the problem was not just who voted for him, but how many people did not vote, and how many people for, voted for Jill Stein. And yes, the people who really want Donald Trump out, they're going to vote for us. And the people who really want him in are going to vote for him. Let's just consider that done. Then you've got a whole universe of people. That's who we need to inspire. And yes, I do. I believe that I'm having a conversation that goes deeper. I think that the conventional political establishment is too narrow a container. It's left over from the 20th century. It's not in alignment with the kind of gestalt and zeitgeist of the 21st century. The 21st century is a far more holistic, integrative conversation, particularly among young people. You've got to get deep and you've got to get real. I think that's why people have appreciated my conversation about race. People have appreciated my conversation about millions of traumatized American children that we're not even talking about. People have appreciated my conversation about the military-industrial complex and recognized that I and Tulsi Gabbard are the only people even going there. So, yes, I think that there's an excitement and an energy that we need to ignite that we will not be able to harness the same old, same old, same conversation, but just a better version. That's, uh, I don't think that that's going to get the job done. I mean, look, we need 
getting that job done, as in defeating Donald Trump, is the most important thing. I mean, there's no question about that. You mentioned but talk uh, I think we're going to need to do more than some people seem to think if that's going to happen. You mentioned talking about race. You talked about reparations uh, in various debates as well. Uh, do you believe that uh, that uh, will, will uh, ignite or excite uh, a diverse coalition of Democratic voters? Will it turn off white voters? And uh, do you believe that America actually has the stomach, has the will, uh, has, the, uh, has the guts to truly confront the issue of race? So you, you asked very important questions, and you asked two or three of them. And first, your question was, would this be, would we be able to put together the coalition? So hear me on this. The traditional political calculation is along a horizontal line. It's the idea that leads us to dumb down the message. Dumb it down, dumb it down so more people will agree with you. I take a different, 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 uh, different tact. I say go deep, get real, and go vertical. Because conviction is a force multiplier. You know, Roland, I'm old enough to remember when Don, when Ronald Reagan was considered too conservative to ever be president. People do not vote. You know, the, the same part of the brain that rationally analyzes an issue is not the same part of the brain that decides who to vote for. So, to me, it's not just would more people want to, if you were to vote today, who would support reparations? Then no, we would not. But what I'm saying is I'm having a conversation which people of goodwill hear. You know, too many white Americans just don't really know the history. They're woefully undereducated. And when I talk about it within a context of a historical narrative, how there were 250 years of slavery followed by another 100 years of institutionalized violence against black people, what the black code laws were, what the 40 acres and a mule meant, how Germany paid $89 billion. Yeah, but I mean, I'm talking about this in the whitest states in America. And at the end, people are on their feet applauding. So, yes, I do. I'm not, I'm not running a campaign where I'm saying to people, I'll get this for you, and I'll get this for you, and I'll get this for you. To me, that's the corruption of our politics. What I'm saying is, let us join together and do the right thing. And people are hearing me on the issue of reparations when I say that whether you are an individual or you are a nation, you can't have the future that you want if you're not willing to clean up the past. So, yes, I absolutely believe this is a moment when people are open. People really hear, particularly young people. Young people understand phrases like historical trauma. Young people, there's something, this is a pregnant moment in America. And I'm speaking into something very contemporary. And it's very now. And this, this, this old conversation it's it's not enough. It, it's, it doesn't inspire excitement. And I have, and I, you know, it's really interesting because when I think of all the people who have told me that they're Trump supporters, but they would vote for me, and they're they're Republicans, but they would vote for me, the, the reparations thing. There's a bigger outlook and in, in moral viewpoint of the world, and their values that I feel I. I acknowledge and I validate, which too often people of faith feel the Democratic Party does not validate. And I, that's more important to them. And also, even on the topic of reparations, I make the argument it's an economic stimulus. You know, there was an article that came out today in the CBS that was talking about the fact that if 
black uh, wealth, if black families made as much money as white families, then our economy would be 1.5 trillion larger. So people understand when I talk about, you're talking about money for the purposes of economic education or renewal, what, that's an economic stimulus. I don't see reparations as a cost. I see it as a benefit across the board. Economics is obviously critically important. Uh, what is happening with the economy? Folks are saying we potentially are headed into a recession. How, what is Mary Ann Williamson, what is your economic plan, your economic policy uh, to ensure that Americans uh, not only will uh, continue uh, t with jobs, but also, uh, you're also how do you deal with African Americans who are not getting the resources needed for, for small businesses, being able to tap those lines of credit, being able to access venture capital dollars as well? And so what is your economic agenda for African Americans? Well, first of all, reparations at two to five hundred billion dollars dispersed over twenty years is quite an economic agenda. But let's say, well, obviously, um, obviously, obviously, to get reparations, you need to pass the House and the Senate. Uh, so let's yes. so let's assume first and foremost uh, that the votes are not there. Okay, so then what do you do to what is your still your economic policy uh, if that doesn't happen? Well, first of all, I think it will happen. But even if it were not, not to happen, there are plenty of areas. I'll give you an example. So, um, just, when Obama no, just one second, one second, I'm sorry. Marianne, one second, one second. One second. So Republicans now control the Senate, okay? Yes. If you, if you win the Democratic nomination, if you beat Donald Trump, and Republicans are still in control of the Senate, how reparations are going to get passed? There's not, no, one, I, there's not one Republican who supports it. No, definitely I understand what you're saying, because you're, you're saying if it doesn't get passed, what are you going to do for black America? And I certainly want to answer that question. Go ahead. But now going back to this question, right, right, to be right. honest, Roland, if I'm elected president, there's a shift in the consciousness of the American voter. So I think it's a really good assumption that if, if the American people have shifted enough to elect me president, I think there's a real good chance we'll have shifted enough to elect a lot of people with a kind of different consciousness, whether it actually replaces uh, Mitch McConnell or not. Okay. But your question okay. is certainly valid, which is what if he's not there, what would you do for black America? And the, the, the issues to me have to do with such things as, even when minority business owners get business contracts, often historically, They've had to wait too long to get paid. So even though they could get the contract, they would still go bust. Under the Obama administration, they put in a rule called pay quick, where people had to be paid, I think, within two weeks. Trump has, has repealed that. So the various issues that have to do with, with discrimination, the various issues such as that, various issues such as having to do with small business loans, making capital available. See, I believe that the purpose of government is to help people thrive. The purpose of government shouldn't be to cap people's dreams. So anything that helps people access their own creativity and their own productivity, this to me is my philosophy of where money comes from. So it's not just what I'm quote unquote doing for black people. It's, an, it's a whole economic theory. We move as many barriers as possible from as many people as possible so that they can access their own creativity. This has to do with, with education. For instance, my, my, uh, one of my plans is for a Department of Children and Youth. I want every uh, school in America to be a palace of learning and culture and the arts, because we know now how much happens before the age of eight. 
And we know that in a country where where the educational funding is primarily based on property taxes, it is children of color who get the most uh, disadvantage because if you are in an advantaged neighborhood in this country, a child has a very good chance of a high quality public education. But if that child is not in an advantaged neighborhood, less so. This is where our genius is, is in every kindergarten in every neighborhood in America. This is where our potential is. This is where our entrepreneurial potential. This is where I think of the millions and billions and even probably trillions of dollars of unrealized economic potential that lies in the fact that we do not develop the brain of every American child. These are the kinds of ideas. These are the kinds of visions. These are the kinds of uh, of organizing and 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 values and principles that, to me, should govern all of our domestic policies. We've got a couple of minutes left. Uh, obviously, uh, next debate is taking place in September. Uh, how do you see yourself breaking through? Uh, as it stands right now, um, when you look at the polling data, you are at the bottom. Uh, you are, and when I say at the bottom, we're talking first of all, uh, most of the candidates are not even above 3%. So what do you need to do to catch fire uh, to get folks interested in your uh, campaign? I think after the second debate, there was a lot of talk about me, obviously. I was considered the breakout candidate by most by most voices. And then there was clearly an, an attack on my credibility. Uh, she's anti-science, she's anti-medicine, she's crazy, she's a grifter, and it certainly had had its effect. That's number one. Number two, uh, I think a lot of people need to ask ourselves who's even being pulled. And number three, it took me a year and a half to process my candidacy. I think it's understandable that it's taken a lot of other people time to process my candidacy as well. But it's the voters who matter. And when I'm out there and my crowds are growing and I see the enthusiasm and I know that my words are landing, that is my indicator for whether or not I'm supposed to be in this race and whether or not I'm supposed to continue. As long as I feel that I'm saying things that need to be said, Martin Luther King said, your life begins to end on the day you stop talking about things that matter. Not only am I talking about things that matter, I think I'm the only candidate talking about some of the things that really matter, whether it has to do with children, whether it has to do with race, whether it has to do with war and peace, whether it has to do with the deeper corruption of our economy, really, and where that's coming from. As long as I feel that other people are hearing it and there's an excitement about it, I'm in this race. And that's democracy. It's not about polls. It's about the U.S. Constitution. And so I'm in it as long as my heart says I'm supposed to be here. And right now, my heart says I'm supposed to be here. All right. Marianne Williamson, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you very, very much. No charcoal girls are allowed. I'm not making new. I'm white. I got you, huh? Illegally selling water without a permit? On my property. Whoa! Hey! All right, y'all, what in the hell? What possesses a crazy-ass white woman to compare her television co-anchor to a damn gorilla? This is Finn. We're about to show... Oh, my goodness. I have to look at him. He's a resident of the Oklahoma City Zoo. And this week, the zoo's eighth caretaker took over their Instagram. And we are all loving that they did. And as you can see, Finn was fascinated. Definitely ready for his close-up. Kind of looks like you. What do you think of Wait, did he say yeah? Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, y'all heard it, huh? Yeah. Kind of looks like you. Yeah, And he know. goes, what? Yeah, it does, actually. So they, of course, um, they, of course, 
you know, had to come on the air and there had to be an apology. Press play. Because I want to apologize not only to my co-worker, Jason, but to our entire community. I said something yesterday that was inconsiderate, that was inappropriate, and I hurt people. And I want you to know I understand how much I hurt you out there and how much I hurt you. I love you so much, and you have been one of my best friends for the past year and a half, and I would never do anything on purpose to hurt you. And I love our community, and I want you all to know, from the bottom of my heart, I apologize for what I said. I know it was wrong, and I am so sorry. Oh, Alex, thank you very much, and I, I, I do accept your apology, and I, I do appreciate your apology. Um, I want to let everybody out there know that Alex... Um, is one of my best friends. I mean, we do what we do here, and, and you know, it's not as if we see each other here and then we leave and we go home. We talk every day, or almost every other day. Um, I've told you things. I, I, I've shared things with you uh, as a friend, and I, I do appreciate you, and I do love you. Um, all that being said, uh, and Alex will be the first to admit to this to you, what she said yesterday was wrong. Um, it cut deep for me, and it cut deep for... A lot of you in the community, I've heard the, the phone calls, and I've heard the Facebook messages as well. And, and, and I guess coming out of this, I want this to be a teachable moment. And that, that lesson here is that words, words matter. There's no doubt about that. Um, changing demographics here in this country, the demographics are changing. We're becoming a more diverse country, and, and there's no excuse. We have to understand uh, the stereotypes. We have to understand uh, each other's backgrounds and the words uh, that hurt the words that cut deep and we have to find a way to replace those words with love and words of affirmation um, as well um, you know what we do here as broadcasters uh, we use words words are the the tools of our trade much like a you know a plumber would use a wrench or a doctor would use a scalpel we use wait i what? can't hear that scalpel? bullshit i can't hear that bullshit anymore y'all go ahead so look, <laughs> uh -uh. somebody should have, um, I was waiting for her to, I was waiting for a handkerchief, I was waiting for a, a white, wipe a tear or something, not just no, choke she up. she got her face beat, just, they ain't just, no crying, crying. But uh, I, it was no, no tear that no, fell from no, her eye, you know, no I do think as yeah, far as him, uh, him saying <laughs> yes, you know, or whatever he said, you know, there, I think mo many of us have been in situations where people say things and we just kind of respond. Right. And then you know, later we say, well, yeah, no, what the shit? Hey, if your ass told me I look, I look like you're a gorilla, I'd be like, <laughs> bitch, have you lost your... Oh, Becky, have you rolling. lost your... I'm telling you right now. Oh, that's rolling. real. That's real. We don't but, know what he said after. He might have been like, yeah, your whole ass look like... But you know, I don't think but that you don't know easy to kind of do that. No, I agree. Kelly gone. So this is twofold. One, I think that she was just completely ignorant in, t in terms of her statement. Oh, my God. It looks like you. Yeah, like, the fact that you came up with that so quickly, that just kind of rolled off your tongue, that, to me, says that you've been thinking about this. Bitch, it's a gorilla! Oh, rolling. It's a gorilla! Dog! I don't care who you are. <laughs> we are looking... It's a gorilla. So that's that's point number one. Point number two is the fact that I don't think he understands the gravamen of that sentiment. Because if I were him, 
I wouldn't be sitting next to her during her apology. Uh, yo, if I, I were him, that would not have happened because... Can I, can, I, can I just say... And let me say this right now. I know somebody's sitting there. Yeah, see, I'm just saying how the natural response would have been. She would have got cussed out. She absolutely... For she, me, too. She, she would have got cussed out. I'm a very peaceful And person, I know somebody's saying, but... I can't believe you would have said that. No. It was... I'm t- right. I'm, uh, right. Heffa would have come out. Uh, the B... And look, I don't know what... Every, everything would have come tumbling. Can't... Y'all, a gorilla. See, let me... No, 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 no. Also, no, no, see, let me help somebody out. Because if somebody's watching right now, and y'all probably saying, oh, Roland, you got your alpha shirt on, you know, and you got these alphas who call themselves apes. I don't. In fact, that's that's prohibited by fraternity. And I've said, calling ourselves no damn apes. I don't give a damn if Omegas call themselves dogs. We don't need no damn mascot. And I will never, never, and, and of course, it was outlawed in our fraternity. You can't be putting that crap on shirts and stuff along those lines. And I've said to anybody who's an alpha, if I ever see you with some alpha gear and a goddamn ape or a monkey, I'm like, I'm gonna cuss you the hell out. I'm gonna cuss you out up and down because the history of black people mm-hmm. being called monkeys, uh, chimpanzees, gorillas, uh, is shameful. It's shameful. And for her, right, so easily. Yeah, it was very easy. It looks like you. Right. And then what's worse to me, even after all of that, which was just bad on its own, but the fact of the matter is, as as black as he is and as white as she is, together on that sofa together, that also brings other, you know, negative historical connotations. Absolutely. So that to me was more bothersome than the fact that she called him a monkey. Can I can I be honest? I think. And, and, you know, I'm going to say this because we're unfiltered. I think he wants to smash. He probably already did. Oh, gee whiz. That's what it looked like to me. Oh, I mean, gee when he put whiz. Like, oh, we text I, each other I, Oh, god. You're my best friend. Man. Yeah. No, let's not, let's, not, let's not think that the both of them could be married or something. We, we don't I know. I didn't see a ring. I looked. I didn't look, but I'll tell you this. I always look. But I think it's possible for you. people to have relationships with someone of the other race or whatever and... Have you know be sympathetic to them? You absolutely can have camaraderie, but that that was like oh, I low key probably slept with you like a week ago, and then you said that. Oh God, y'all getting way yes. I'm just saying we unfiltered, so I was just the bottom line. I said what I said. It was inappropriate. The bottom line for me is the moment she said that looked like you. Yeah, that was. I mean, I would have said something. Yeah, I'm telling you right now, it. TV show would have stopped. You would have heard, <laughs> what you say? <laughs> Who look like me? See, right there. See, we, we ain't waiting for the, the phone call. That's what, I, that's what yeah. got me, too. No, no, hold up, hold up, hold up. Listen so to me. I don't give a damn if at the end of a segment, everything would cease from moving. It would have been like, hold up. What did you just see? We ain't waiting for the phone calls and the emails to come in, and then we ain't waiting for Becky uh, to be crying the next day. No, Becky, we gonna deal with that thing right now. Gonna make her cry right now. They ain't happening. Yeah, they ain't happening. We ain't ain't waiting for tomorrow. Yeah, they should have dealt with it. And we ain't waiting for the moment on the couch, you know, where you my best friend, and you know, and I love you. Yeah, I mean, she they actually wasn't his best friend. They, they, you know? they should have, they should have dealt. That was, that was a, that was a definite insensitivity and like ignorance real, and the whole nine yards. But real, they should have been dealt with 
right after the break. But no. we don't know what he said off camera. Yeah. Wait, yeah, I know sure. My point is, we ain't waiting till the next day. <laughs> and my thing yeah, is... Yeah, but we don't, we don't know what he... he we ain't something. waiting till the next day. No. Yeah. See, no, I didn't know it was the next but day. But another That's point of the worse. matter is her apology had nothing to do with the historical connotation of it all. They, they avoided the word race or racism. It really, my they, community, of course. Your community. It wasn't around. her community that and she And he's offended. like, you know, we got to find different words. You know, we got to find, And then you he know, tried to liken it to a scalpel, like words are a scalpel. Okay. All right. <laughs> I don't know. I think he's from Mississippi or something. I don't know. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. We'll, we'll, we'll take that. Know. We'll take that for the team. Oh, we'll take that for the Shame. team. All right, y'all. I got to go out on this one. North Carolina man, a, a brother, dragged from his own home in his underwear when a guest accidentally triggered the alarm. And, and so remember what happened with the whole Skip Gates thing? And, mm -hmm. you know, and Obama wanted to say the cop acted well, stupidly yeah. after... Determining the Skip Gates live there. Right. Y'all, watch this video here, and this this is crazy. Drink mm -hmm. make yourself known. Hey, Brian, can you just hold the camera real quick? Hey, come on out with your hands up. Yeah. Just Okay, so I'm just trying to figure out 
who you are, all right, and whether you're supposed to be here or not. That, that's not the problem, okay. bro. All right, just have a seat for me, okay? This shit is the craziest shit ever. This is my supervisor. This is Sergeant Bracey. Sergeant Bracey, uh, I made several announcements when I first got here. I was there was there were no answers, okay? And then about five minutes later, I gave another announcement. He said, I'm inside. I gave him commands to come to the front. He came down the stairwell. He had a firearm in his hand. Of course. Okay. I told him to drop the firearm. He dropped the firearm. You can release the channel, right? I told him to then walk this way and turn around and put his hand behind his back. Um, the little, he didn't want to do that at first. I'm at home, bro. Y'all killing people these days. I'm at home. I ain't bothered nobody. I stay in the house so I don't have to bother nobody. I'm a business owner. I see somebody coming to my door. Of course I'm going to come down with a fire. You're talking about come outside. You know, have a seat. And it's have a seat. neighbors outside. Have a seat. What am I, what is the Because we're going to clear the rest of the house. Have a seat. Have a seat. Bro, what, how do y'all come to somebody's house to do this? Have a seat. What have I done wrong? Wait a minute, All right, come on. Let's go. I haven't done nothing right, let's wrong. Go. Let's go. Step outside. Oh, I haven't done nothing wrong. Okay, step outside. All right, folks, so what happened there was they put him in the car, then they cleared the house. Uh, Raleigh police, they, they are investigating these officers' actions. Okay, now here's what's crazy here. But I don't understand. If you roll up, okay, do, there's an alarm, door open, understand. Okay? Why isn't the first thing you ask for, sir, what is your name? That's the first thing. Like, what's the first thing? and I need to see some identification or whatever the heck. And then when the supervisor comes, sit down, sit down. And he's standing there, he's calm, he's peaceful. I mean, th that, that's utter nonsense there. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, you see these type of, and, and I, I purposely don't watch these. It's the first time I actually watched it here. But this is the type of thing that what people have to understand when we, we, we have this, this, it's something that you, you t it's a tenseness that you can feel when you're, when, when you are treated like that, like you're in your own house and you knew that. I mean, the guy was being an ass. I mean, he was being an ass, and then when the supervisor came, he was being an even bigger ass as to tell you to sit down in your own house, and when you didn't sit down, then they said, well, just take him outside. It is that sort of dismissiveness. And the brother actually later gave an interview where he said, look, he said, I'm freaking out because this man is shaking with a gun. I could be dead in seconds. No. That's a real fear. That's I... a real fear. It's like a damned if you do, damned if you don't. He's in his house, and by the looks of the video, you see that he didn't even... His gun was already out. The cop's gun was already out. There was no room for negotiation, no room for actual... And, 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 and I got... Like, first conversing. of all, I get it. An alarm goes off. Right. Mm -hmm. You arrive on the scene, a door is open. <clears throat> right. Got it. Got it. What I'm still trying to understand, though, is that when the guy's, com when the guy's coming down, when you don't say, uh, okay, when you say put the, put the, put the gun down, sir, What's who are name? you? Mm -hmm. I'm the homeowner. What is your name? Mm -hmm. I need to see some identification. My first thought, I'm dealing with a dude in his underwear, okay? So my first thought is not necessarily he broke in to go to sleep. Right. And stripped down. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I'll say, though, there, 
there have been people who have broken into homes in their underwear. That that yeah, there are squatters that does, and stuff like that does, that does uh, exist. But but, 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 but this common. is simple. Your, your As, protocol. I'm probably gonna ask for the ID before I handcuff you. Right. I'm not gonna assume if, if, if I'm on a situation and the guy comes down and he comes down, I tell you to put your gun down and he puts the gun down. Right. Okay. And then his whole deal is get on the ground, don't face me, I'm gonna cuff you. And his gun was still out. That's what got me. He so he's disarmed. And, and I right. And he, he could have easily had still out. had his gun out yeah. and said, I need to see some ID. I need to see some ID. We don't get to the ID for another two to three minutes. Right. No, yeah. I, I That's I crazy. Agree. The the only thing that I would put into this conversation is is that he was in his underwear. So if you're going to ask for ID, you know he doesn't have it on him. Where is he going to pull the ID out? So are you going to walk with him upstairs or right. walk with him around the house? You don't know who else is in the house. Actually, what I'm also going to... If I've told you to put the gun down, mm-hmm. what I'm going to do is, as opposed to tell you to kneel down and turn around, I'm going to ask you to step outside in the middle of the yard. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to do. I'm, 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 I'm going to ask you to step outside. Yeah. Outside of the house. Well, he asked the guy that initially. After no. No, no, no. no. What he told him was, thought, he said, uh-uh. he said, step to, out of the house when he had the gun out. point. And again, the guy was I, like, no, the, the, <laughs> you know, the, which I think is his right. The, 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 the bottom line here is, alarm was turned off. Now, it's, again, it's different if you get to the house, and the alarm is still on. Okay. This is for black people. The problem here is again, white cop with a gun on you. He all of a sudden gets trigger happy, get a little nervous, all of a sudden bullet hole in me, all because a friend set my alarm off and the guy turned the alarm off. The right. guy turned the alarm off, went back to sleep. That's what happened. Yeah, and, and can right. I just say very quickly Real that quick. I, I imagine what factored into that from the officer's point of view, what and we and we see this, we saw it with Michael Brown. Um, it was the size. It was his size, mm. and so I imagine that there was a, mm-hmm. there was a, you know, maybe if you know, I'm five seven, so maybe if it, you know, if, and and that's not excusing it, but I imagine that he saw him as a threat at that moment and because by, of his size. And by the way, the brother had a concealed permit for that weapon, and he yeah. kept saying it, and that's what he had. So I'm, I'm yeah. look. So they're investigating. Of course, you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what it comes out. Uh, I'm still stuck on TV, Becky. <laughs> I, I'm still. I, I'm still. <laughs> No, I, 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 I there's, I, I'm still stuck on that whole deal. I'm just letting y'all know right now, whole show, whole morning show would have stopped. <laughs> whole morning show would have stopped. We, 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 we would have had, a, we would have had uh, a come to Jesus moment right there. <laughs> Church would have commenced right there. Uh, and I just, and, and, and advertisers <laughs> on hold. And the thing that people need, that people need to understand, is that what, what we are dealing with. In America, we're still dealing with people who see us that way. Mm-hmm. You would never, I guarantee you, TV Becky would never say to the woman doing the weather, if a woman doing the weather, oh, that pig look like you. Nope, wouldn't have happened. Wouldn't have happened. And for people out there who somehow think, well, well these things really no big deal. No, this is the reality of being black in America. Serena Williams last night mm. just beat beat the just Great. dog stomped mm. Maria Sharapova, and Serena Williams and Venus Williams have had to deal with people questioning their sexuality. Mm. 
because of their size. Oh, look at look how big they are, muscular, look like men. All those different things. Radio talk show hosts have said some of the most nasty and vile things. We are still dealing with that in this country. It is because in America, for the last 400 years, black people have been compared to animals. We have been seen as that. And what she and, and her, oh, it, it was, oh, see, it was innocuous. It was just sort of a moment of laughter. No, that is how we have been portrayed in mass media for four centuries. And we need to understand that whole view. And so when people look at us, and this is why I tell people all the time, don't ask my ass if I played football because you see me wearing Texas A&M gear. Because what you're doing there is you're saying that when I see a black man mm -hmm. wearing the gear of a major university, surely he must have played football. Mm. See, we need to understand how deeply embedded this thing is in the consciousness of the country. So when somebody sees us and they go, oh, you must have played football, what they're really saying is the only way you could have gone to that university sports. is through sports. Not because you wanted to be a lawyer or an entrepreneur or a doctor or a dentist or whatever. No, 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 no. You were there because of sports. And so same thing. Oh, that looks like you. You told a black man, Yoko Anka, he looked like a gorilla? <sighs> we need to understand how that has the psyche on black people, which is why you got black people who are running around want, wanting blonde hair because America has said the beauty standard is a blonde, uh, is a blonde woman. The folks who wear, change their eyes. When you go to now, you go to these African nations where skin lightning cream oh, is selling like crazy, bleaching their skin. Hell, Sammy Sosa went from a black man to a white man. You have to understand the power of white skin on the consciousness of people of color. We have been assaulted with that in this country for 400 years and other places for a very long time. And so don't try to act like it's not a big deal when it is. All right, folks, I want to thank our panelists. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. If you want to support Roland Martin Unfiltered, please go to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Join our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, you, of course, uh, can uh, join it via PayPal Square um, uh, as well as Cash App. We appreciate all of you who have become donors. Uh, we have had, uh, we're going to celebrate, of course, our first anniversary. is September 4th. Uh, it has been a fa fabulous first year. Uh, we appreciate all of you who have subscribed to our YouTube channel as well. And so uh, let me give a shout also to the folks who have given to us uh, on uh, YouTube while we have been live on the air. Uh, the Sage, thank you for uh, your donation as well. Uh, so I appreciate that. And so uh, thank you so very much. All right, folks, I got to go. Uh, I'll see you guys tomorrow right here. Rolling Mark Unfiltered. Holla! From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.